We are going to be in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5 this morning. And we, as we go through 1 Peter, we're, it's a book all about hope. It's a book all about hope in the midst of suffering. And this morning, we're specifically going to look at the main reason we have hope uh, in, in the redemption and purpose that we have in Christ. And the subtitle of the sermon this morning is Get Excited About Your Inheritance. Get excited about your salvation, as we will see in just a moment. And so if you will, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read through 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, and then we will go back to the beginning of, of verse 3, or chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. We'll go back to the beginning of verse 3, and we'll work through it word by word. So, beginning in 1 Peter 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. As we look at this, as we look at these words, it's so easy to just read Scripture, read Scripture that we've read a time or two or a hundred times before, and to just keep on going. It's easy to read Scripture and, and to be present, to be mindful and read it, and yet just kind of skim over what it said. Um, if you could be honest with me, when I just read that, how many of you, you just felt like we were reading Scripture? Nothing big jumped out to you? Nothing, okay, most of you. Um, well, that's why when we have our quiet times, our times when we personally um, set aside time each day to, to pray and to read our Bible, that even when we're being mindful, even when we want to be there, even when we're trying to pay attention to what we read, there are times when we just need to slow down, especially if, if God makes a verse jump out to us that day or there's just something that we read that, uh, is, that seems like it needs our attention. Uh, but every day we should try to find something where we slow down and we ask, what is this really saying? What is God doing here? What, why is this written why did Peter include this in his letter? And so if you remember the last couple weeks, we, uh, two weeks ago, we just looked at the life of Peter. We, this was before we started really going through First Peter. We just looked at the life of Peter and who he was. And then last week, I, I reminded you that, that we can't just think of Peter that wrote this letter as the same maturity level Peter who did those things with Jesus because some time had passed. He had matured. He had changed. And so last week we started looking at the fact that Peter wrote this letter and the people to whom he wrote it were people scattered throughout regions of minor Asia. And so we, we read that in the first two verses. And, and, and then we also saw where a, God knew that this was going to happen. He knew these people were going to experience this type of persecution, these struggles. He knew that. And he knew that 
he was going to use those struggles. The father knew he would use those struggles for the spirit to transform them, to sanctify them, and help them to become more like Jesus. That he was going to use the struggles for their good. And it was going to result in obedience to Jesus. And so we saw this last week. And then he, he said, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. We saw that Peter started this letter to whom he was writing it. And, and this introduction. And many of us in this room can fit into the category of what, of the same category that the people uh, that were receiving the letter, that they fit into, which is they were struggling. They were going through things that were uncomfortable. There was, it was a season of life and a way of life for them where they were not accepted where they were. And so, for many of us, maybe we have understood what that feels like, to be in the midst of a difficult time, to be in the midst of pain and suffering, to feel out of place, to long for something different, for something more, for something better. And that's where these, place, these people were. And so then we get to verse 3, and he says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's just mentioned the Trinity in the previous verse. And now in, in this verse, he's starting out again by blessing God the Father and the Father of Jesus, our Lord Jesus Christ. And so there's a lot here just in this, the first part of verse 3. First of all, we see that he is praising God. This is a benediction. He is... Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is immediately setting the tone for this letter. This is going to be a letter of praise. Even in the midst of their circumstances, which he has already defined, he knows to whom he is writing. He, he made that clear in the first couple of verses. Even with that, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, how many of you in here have ever had a struggle where you questioned, in the midst of that struggle, you questioned what God was doing? Anybody? I think most of us have. And so, when we're in the midst of that struggle, when we don't know what's happening, when we don't know where we're headed, when we don't know why something is happening or uh, what the results are going to be, the answer is, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What did Job do when he had lost everything except for his wife, who was in such a bad place that she told him he should curse God and die? What did Job say when he lost it all? The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And so maybe you're in here this morning and you are the person that this letter was meant for. Metaphorically speaking, but also in a real way. God can use what was written centuries, millennia ago and change our lives today. Maybe you're the person that is struggling. Maybe you're the person who is just longing for heaven. Maybe you're the person in the midst of suffering. 
Maybe you're the person in the midst of persecution. Maybe you're the person who never fits in. Maybe you're the person who feels those things. This letter is for us. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is not just our Savior, as we are going to talk about and spend the rest of the sermon talking about, but He is our Lord. He deserves our obedience. And and nowhere in the New Testament can you separate Savior and Lord. There's just not a place where it's okay to say, yes, Jesus is my Savior, and then go on doing your own thing, not living in obedience to his lordship. That is not okay. It's important for us to see these words and to realize what he's saying. He is Lord God. We submit to him. He is Lord Jesus. He has become a human in order to die for our sins. He is who he is. He is the Savior. He is the Messiah. He is the Christ, our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we know about God. I hope most of us in this room know about God. We know about Jesus. We know about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so we can understand why Peter would write, Blessed be the God of our Father, or be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And let's look at these next words. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. Now, Peter and John like to use the phrase born again. Paul uh, usually uses phrases like adoption, salvation. And so we see here that we have this born again this salvation, we've been born again or we've been saved for a reason. There's a reason why we're allowed to have it. And it's according to his great mercy. Do you know how many of us in this room deserve for Jesus to have come and died on a cross for us? Jimmy got it. Zero. None of us. None of us deserve what Jesus did for us. But according to his great mercy. What have you done to hurt people? I want you to think about it for a second. I'm not trying to cause you great consternation or pain right now, but I do want you to think about some of the things that you have done in your life. What are some of the things that you've done that you know were absolutely wrong? What are some of the things that you've done that hurt, have hurt the people around you. Maybe you're a different person now, but you did them then. What are some of those things? When I think about some of the things that I've done in my life, I feel a great deal of shame and regret, especially the pain that I've caused other people at, at certain times. Those are things that you can't take back. They're, you did them, they're done, and you can learn from them, and you can change and you can do better in the future but they're done and if we were to take all of those things over the course of a lifetime and add up all of the pain that we have caused not just others but God all of the disobedience that we have done in our lives then 
we can really feel the effect of according to his great mercy. Because none of us deserve salvation. In fact, all of us deserve for our sins to be dealt with. All of us deserve punishment. But according to his great mercy, he is a merciful God. He loves us. Do you understand what mercy is? It's when you deserve something, in this case, hell, eternal punishment for us. When we deserve something, and yet God doesn't give it to us, in this case. That's what this mercy is. We deserve hell, but we're not getting hell. We've already, we've already defined in the first couple of verses that according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, that these people that, to whom he's writing, they're saved. And I'm assuming that many of you in this room are saved. And we are only saved according to his great mercy. Because we do not deserve that salvation. And there's nothing we can do to earn that. There's nothing we can do. Okay, he, he saved me this uh, year. Just a couple of weeks ago, it's been 20 years since I became a Christian. And all the good I've done for him since I've been saved, all the work I've done to his glory, you know how much more it's make, made me deserve his salvation? Jimmy, show me that sign again. Zero. We do not deserve it. What we deserve is punishment. But according to his great mercy, he has been gracious. He has given us something we don't deserve. If mercy is not getting what we do deserve, the punishment that we do deserve, grace is getting what we don't deserve. We don't deserve salvation. And yet, he has given it to us. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. How have we become a Christian? It's two-sided. First, He draws us. He helps us to see the reality of where we stand spiritually. He helps us to see that we are lost. The Holy Spirit, we would not come to Christ if it wasn't for the work that God has already done in our life. We would not come to, to, to God if it wasn't for the work that Jesus did on the cross. We would be hopeless. We would be helpless without him. There's nothing we could do if Jesus, if God, if the Holy Spirit didn't come and, and convict us in our moment of need. Think back to when you were saved. Think back to times in your life where you have known you needed him. And think back to the moment where you received him, where he saved you. According to his great mercy, he convicted you. Maybe you've never felt that conviction. Maybe you're feeling it right now. But it's only according to his great mercy. And we're not guaranteed to have that feeling again. We're not guaranteed to, to have... a an instance 
where truth is revealed to us, and we have to make a decision in those moments to follow him. Now look, if you're just wanting a savior, if you're just wanting to not go to hell, and you don't want anything to do with Jesus as Lord, then according to the Bible, it's hard to put your faith in him if you're not wanting a relationship with him. And so I would say that some of the things that we're about to talk about I'm not saying that you individually, although it's possible, and so we need to keep an open mind, but many people that I have come into contact with in the last 20 years as a Christian have had a wrong understanding about salvation. And there were times, and maybe I still do, where I've had wrong understandings about salvation. But I do believe that my understanding has gotten better over the years. And I do believe that as I've fallen more in love with Jesus, I've become obedient and the, the number of hours I've spent with him, the number of hours I've spent in his word, and not just reading his word, because I just heard this week, um, and I put this on Facebook, but th- there's a quote that it doesn't matter how many times you go through the Bible, it matters how many times the Bible goes through you. We can read the Bible and read it, and read it, and read it, and uh, it doesn't affect our spiritual maturity. I know people who know the Bible, well, in the past, at that time when we were having the discussion, they knew the Bible as well as I did, and yet they weren't saved. They had no desire for Jesus. And so reading and knowing with this, with your brain, with your mind, doesn't mean knowing with your mind and your spirit, with your soul, with your heart, with obedience. There are things you can know. Let me give you an example. Uh, About eight years ago, I was extremely terrified because I was about to have my first kid. And I read every book written about the topic. I don't know that it helped any. But I read them, and, uh, and, I, and I, I knew everything there was to know about being a parent. You could have asked me before John Michael was born uh, what I should do in a certain situation, and I'd tell you, man, it's easy. So-and-so said this. This is all you got to do. And then I had a kid. Don't laugh at me. I've been through it. I learned the hard way. I know better now. I experienced the sleepless nights, the colic, the nonstop screaming. I experienced looking at that kid and just loving him so much, feeling things I'd never felt before. It unlocked a part of me that I didn't know was there. There's a difference between knowing and knowing. Do you understand what I'm saying? You cannot just call Jesus your Savior and he not be your Lord. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. Let's make this clear. 
No one gets saved except through Jesus, according to the Bible. And no one gets saved except according to his great mercy and according to what he has done, according to his actions. Now, are, do we have a role in salvation? Yes. God has a role. We have a role. Our role isn't anything we do or work in order to earn salvation. Our role is just faith. We just put our faith in Jesus. We become his. We surrender. And we couldn't even do that without his great mercy. We couldn't even do that without him first working in us. But it's both. Some people take the theological stand that there are the elect and there are those who are saved and they have no role in it. If you're saved, you're saved and there's nothing you can do about it and you might as well do whatever you want to do because you're elect or you're not. Okay? You can't read the Bible and come to that conclusion. You can, come to the, you can read the Bible and come to the conclusion that there are the elect. You can read the Bible and come to a, even a Calvinistic conclusion. I believe that. Um, but not an hyper, a hyper-Calvinist conclusion where you say nothing matters, right? As we talked about a little bit last Sunday night. And then there are people over here who say, you just say a prayer. You just say, Jesus saved me, and Jesus saves you. And that's all there is to it. And I would say that this position is just as dangerous as the other one that I just mentioned. Because there's nowhere in the Bible where you read about salvation and lordship is divorced from it. There's nowhere in the Bible where we read about salvation and it's okay for people who got saved to keep on doing the same things without any maturity, without any growth. In fact, many of the books of the New Testament are written to warn people, you cannot be stagnant in your growth. You have to love Jesus more. You have to be more like him. You cannot keep living this way. You have to be this. And J- James, he says that we... that in addressing people who chose to take this position, he said, you say you have faith, great. How is he going to show people his faith? By his works. Now, he didn't get saved by his works. It was by grace that we are saved, right? It is by grace that we are saved, not by works. Who gets to boast about their salvation and what they did to be saved? Nobody. Nobody, because he did it. He's the one who, who worked it together. He's the one that saves us. He's the one that did everything. All we have to do is have faith, become his. And when you look at faith in the culture to which the Bible was written, then they knew that you couldn't separate those things. You couldn't separate getting saved with Jesus being your Lord and you having to obey him. Now, you're not saved through your obedience. You're saved by grace. But if you are saved, if, you, if the Holy Spirit comes to live in you, things should change. There should be a radical change in your life. You should not be the same. 
And one of the things that I hear often is, but I, I grew up a Christian. I grew up a church. I was already a good person before I got saved. Look, I was friends in high school with a lot of people who went to church before I went to church. I've been friends since then with a lot of people who go to church. And just because you go to church and you think you're a good person doesn't mean you're a good person. And what you consider good and your culture considers good might not necessarily be what God considers good. And God has called us to surrender to him. God has called us to do what is best according to his teachings. I got to stop on that because I'm going to get back to that. But according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He's done all the work. He's done everything necessary. He has caused us to be born again. If you're saved in here this morning, then you need to say, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You need to be thanking him because he's the one that saved you. He's the one that did this. All we did is put our faith in him. He's done the work. Verse 4. Calls us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance. This is our salvation. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. So, as we get older, does our salvation get weaker? No. The moment we get saved, our salvation is just as full in that moment as it ever will be. It's just not as revealed. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Imperishable. Can our salvation end? Not according to Scripture. It is imperishable. How would you like to have eternal life? We get to heaven, we have eternal life, and we find out that just like everything on earth, salvation is perishable. Anybody want that? Well, we can't have it both ways. It either is imperishable or it's not. I believe with all my heart that salvation is imperishable. Now, that doesn't mean that I don't understand where people are coming from when they think that we can lose our salvation. But I personally believe that Scripture is clear throughout in a passage like this one, as we will continue to see, and in a passage like um, John 10, where no one can snatch us out of our Father's hands, and in other places, I believe that our salvation is imperishable. That is, we have eternal life, that we did nothing to earn it, therefore we can do nothing to unearn it. That it is a gift, and when we become gods, we are gods. We, we belong to him, not we are God's, in little g. But we belong to God. And let me say this, that I think one of the reasons why there is so much confusion on this is because so many people have such a wrong idea of what salvation is. I believe that there are warnings and warnings and warnings and more warnings in the New Testament about people who claim to be followers of Jesus and are not. If we, look, if we were to read the Bible, we would see instant after instance after instance where Jesus returns. In, in Matthew, we see we're given this vision 
toward the end where Jesus comes back and people come up to him and say, Lord, Lord, we knew you. We did these things for you. And Jesus says, depart from me for I never knew you. Never knew you. Not I knew you and then I didn't know you anymore. I never knew you. We have in Hebrews this warning passage after warning passage of those who claim to be Christians, but there's a way to know. Perseverance. If you remain in the faith, then that's proof that you really are a Christian, that you really are saved. But for people who just want to take advantage of God's grace and say, I'm a Christian, but then there's no proof in their life, there's no change, then I would question whether that person is really a Christian or not. I think the Bible questions that. The Bible gives warning after warning about that. And so, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith with or for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So let me get this clear. The salvation, the inheritance, is kept in heaven for us, it says here for you, who by God's power are being guarded. We are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Salvation in, in the New Testament, well they, in Greek they had four tenses. And we have three, past, present, and future. And in all four of their tenses, they had a perfect tense also. Salvation existed in every tense. And, and for us, it's the same. If we're Christians and there was a moment when we were saved where we were justified, where we were made right with God, where if, if the Lord would have returned any point after that moment, we had a relationship with him. However, many people focus on that and then forget the other two. We are being saved, meaning that the Holy Spirit is working in us, is sanctifying us, this word that we saw last week, and that he is creating us, or transforming us, I should say, into his image. And so we are saved, we are being saved, and then we will be saved in the sense of the end is coming. Jesus is returning, and he's going to make all things right. And we will no longer be here on earth. We will be in heaven with him, or in the new heaven, in the new earth. We will be with him. We will dwell with him. We will be his people. And there will be no more pain, and there will be no more suffering, and salvation will be complete. And so many people say, I'm saved. Why am I still experiencing pain? Well, Peter is writing to a whole group of people who's experiencing pain. Our salvation is not complete yet, and yet it already is. We have been saved. We have been justified, and yet God is allowing things in our life, good, bad, everything, to create in us this transformation that makes us more and more into his image. The, the longer we've been with Jesus, the more we should be like him, the closer we should be to him. And then one day, in the blink of an eye, he's coming back. Now, I realize that our time is up, and I want to use an illustration, and then we're going to transition into the Lord's Supper. But how many of you, how many of you um, 
get nervous. Not all of you, I know, but some of you are like me and weird. How many of you get nervous when your cell phone battery begins to die? Anybody? Anybody? Firemen? Okay. Um, and you see that I have a percentage on mine, so I can see it. 20%, the red light comes on. Uh-oh. 10%, what if my wife is trying to reach me and my phone dies? 5%, the scenarios get more dire. I'm just going to stop there. But when time is running out on that battery, understandably, there's some anxiety. But ever since Jesus ascended into heaven, time has been running out on how long it will be until he returns. We don't know. We don't get 20%, 10%, 5%. It could be right now. The disciples thought he was coming back in their lifetime, a lot of them. If you read the New Testament, it's as if his return is imminent at any moment, at any point, and it has to be. We have to look at it that way because we don't know. What if this is the last day we have? What if today is it? Are you saved? Praise God. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. But what about those that you love? What about your children or your grandchildren? What about your coworkers? What about your friends in the community? What about your neighbors? Do they know? Because time is running out. We don't know how much longer we have. We need to be on our knees begging God to cause their salvation as he caused ours. We need to be on our knees begging God to soften their hearts so they can call to him in faith, so they can ask him to save them just as we did for those of you in here who are saved. Time is running out. We don't know how much longer we have. All we know is that God has done everything possible in order for anyone who puts their faith in him to be saved. He has already done the work. He has already made it complete. Salvation is at hand. It's right there. All we have to do is have faith. All we have to do is reach out. All we have to do is say, Jesus, save me. How many of you in here have already done that? Praise God. According to his great mercy. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You know who is guarding your salvation? God himself. You know who's going to take your salvation? No one. If you are truly saved, if you truly have a relationship with him, then let's see it. Let's see it in your life, in your actions. Let's see it when you're on your knees crying out for that lost person to get saved. God, please save them. Please do something in their life to let them know you. Let's see it when you're the one that goes and tells that lost person about Jesus. Let's see it when you're inviting them to church. Let's see it when you're not just coming to church, but you're being faithful in the church and you're being, becoming a leader in the church. Because I do believe that every single person who is a part of our church that is saved and a member of our church should be a minister. In some way, we're all ministers. 
In some way, we all are part of the body and we have a role to play. And so where are you this morning? Do you have faith? Have you placed your faith in him? If so, then praise God who's keeping that salvation for us in heaven, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Praise God we get to go to heaven. Praise God there won't be any more cancer, any more sickness, any more pain, any more death. Thank God for that. But that's only for those who are saved. You think this is bad? Think about what the Bible says about those who aren't saved. Does God want that? God has done what is necessary for us to be saved. God has done his part. God has has given his son to death, to a cross for our sake. And God has commanded us to go and tell. God has commissioned us to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that he has commanded us. And you know how long he's going to be with us? To the end of the age. He's always going to be with us. He's always going to be guarding our salvation. He's always for us. And when we're suffering and when things don't look right, he's still for us. He still loves us. He's still working it together for good. Now, we're going to have a a time of invitation. And during this invitation, I want you to be considering what God has done for you. I want you to remember what Jesus did for you. And if you've never come to know Jesus, then you can come to know him this morning. 